Hello and welcome to the Antifada, where unrest is best. I'm Sean KB, and uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it this week. Uh, producer AP Andy just recorded an excellent episode of the new series Poet Cult, which will be looking at the paranormal, the parasocial, and the parapolitical from a Marxist standpoint. So he's off duty today, and my co-host and partner Jamie Peck is actually out of town right now at a 24-hour drone fest upstate. Now, she called me last night to inform me that uh, she happened to have taken some, quote, demon acid. I was a little concerned. I talked to her for a bit, and then her friends, you know, obviously took the reins from there who were with her. And I spoke with her this morning, and she's doing great because you know what, folks? She is a tank. She is everybody's drug mom, and she is an experienced psychonaut. So I'll be flying solo this week, but fear not. We have some excellent guests. We are going to be talking about the YouTube. Now, as anybody who's spent more than five minutes on internet media platforms knows, uh, the broader left has been on the back foot for years in the face of the near hegemony held by the alt-right, the alt-light, and craven neoliberal shills like Pod Damn America. Wait, I, sorry, I mean Pod Save America. YouTube, with its opaque recommendation algorithms and its imperative to profit on even the most odious content, is probably the greatest exemplar of this. YouTube serves as a lucrative pipeline for racist, misogynist, and nationalistic politics, even when it's not raking in millions in advertising from corporate-funded, right-wing propaganda outlets like Prager University. Now, you can't see my hands right now, but I practically dislocated a shoulder with the vigor of the air quotes I was putting around university. Let's have a li uh, listen to a little Prager. If what I'm about to tell you is true, Almost everything we most treasure, freedom, beauty, reason, the family, economic well-being, and even goodness, is in jeopardy. Who or what poses this threat? The answer is the most powerful ideology of the last hundred years, leftism. Not liberalism, leftism. Ah, good old Prager you. Thankfully, people on the anti-capitalist left have recognized this imbalance, and they've committed to fighting it through the creation of counter-content that not merely debunks the talking points of well-known jack-offs like Stephen Molyneux, Dave Rubin, Lobster Dad, etc., uh, but also producing explicitly left-wing media that spreads our ideas to the unwashed, and I do mean unwashed, internet masses. So with that, I am proud to introduce to this roundtable some of the best and brightest of our bread tube superstars. Our first contestants on Canadian Ninja Warrior are a two-person outfit, The Surfs. What's up, guys? Hey, how's it going? Very nice to be here. So thanks for joining us, gentlemen. Uh, next, we have the based bread pillar of non-compete, American Johnson, which is definitely his real name. What's up, man? Thank you so much for having me with this great company that we have here today. Hell yeah, you're coming to us live from Vietnam. Thanks, man. I am. It's uh, it's three in the morning here, but I'm going to I'm gonna stay awake somehow. Yeah, muscle your way through, man. Uh, I don't know, maybe take some LSD. That's what JB would do. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, 
the restrictions are a little bit. I mean, the the the, uh, the laws are a little bit more severe here. Like, I think people get like the death penalty for that. Sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> the copy's really good here, so I think that's uh, it'll 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 make up for it. Yeah, man. Uh, better safe than sorry. All right, our last but not least guest is Nick, a founding member of the Means TV Cooperative, that will shortly be overthrowing the digital media ruling class. What's up, Nick? Thanks for having me. It's really yeah, cool man. to be here with all you guys. Yeah, you've been uh, doing the rounds lately. Thanks for coming on the show. Yep. Yeah, I've been doing the rounds, and uh, it's been really fun. I've been like getting to talk to a lot of fun, interesting people. So uh, you're from Detroit, right? I'm not from Detroit, but I live in Detroit currently. How is Detroit these days? I mean, I think Detroit's you know experiencing just about what every other mid-sized American city is right now, which is just uh, like rampant privatization. Uh, displacement of people and other like bad things, pollution. <laughs> ah, yes, gentrification. I think we're all familiar with that by now. Um, in preparation for this, I was reading an article in the paper of record from a couple of years ago about this right wing phenomenon on YouTube, and um, it occurred to me that this intellectual dark web thing made famous by our favorite doyen of dog shit, uh, that of, that is of course Barry Weiss is really just a branded elite extension of the kind of, I don't know, vaguely fascist forbidden ideas that people like Black Pigeon Speaks, Paul Joseph Watson, etc., cetera, uh, have been peddling for many, many years. It's really, it's like the same thing that Trump and Fox do when they throw out these to uh, toxic dog whistles that basically serve to validate people's prejudices as though it were some sort of hidden common sense of the silent majority. Uh, we're going to delve deeper into that phenomenon in a bit. Let's start, though, by talking a little bit about your particular projects. Now, for you YouTube users at home, if you have not yet subscribed to 1. The Surfs, 2. Non-Compete, 3. Means.TV, uh, don't worry, we'll all wait while you pause this recording and uh, go ahead and smash that subscribe button, as they like to say. Uh, okay, 1, 2, 3 four five all right onwards all right so now that that's done uh, i guess we'll start with uh dave and lance at the surfs tell our listeners a bit about your project you know how you got into it um i mean there's there's no why you got into it of course because we all know you're in on this grift for that sweet nra tv ad money uh but how did you come to be uh content creators and what are you guys aiming to do uh, i think when we were starting out we were just trying to uh maybe punch up at some of these bigger cretinous figures uh because you know we're big fans of comedy and we obviously wanted to just i, I think the biggest way to kind of uh I won't say deplatform, but kind just of decredit these. Guys. Yeah, decredit these kind of you know these these figures is to just ridicule them and uh, you know point out like there's nothing better than hearing someone just laugh at the idea of IQ and race realism and all that kind of stuff. So we, yeah, we kind of tried to uh, uh, I guess attack this from a comedy perspective. And uh, when I say punch up, the biggest video we have and the one that kind of gets us a lot of the alt right backlash is we took on Joe Rogan because we didn't like we were kind of wondering why no one had really done a video on him yet. Ah, yes, everybody's favorite dum dum. <laughs> well, like we, like we we obviously don't think he's alt right. Like you know we're we're well aware of that. We just think over the past couple of years it seems like he's been platforming a lot of intellectual dark web figures and uh, Jordan Peterson like twenty times a year uh, to to the extent that if he wasn't you know actively endorsing their beliefs he was tacitly endorsing them to a certain uh, extent i guess so yeah we, we made a video just explaining how there's something called um, 
the Alternative Influence Network, which is an academic paper by Rebecca Lewis. And I know this isn't sounding funny yet, um, but uh, it's through that academic paper that she pointed out that there is a huge cross-pollinization network on YouTube where, you know, all these figures are, they're basically appearing on each other's shows. And, uh, you know, he might have Stefan Molyneux on one day and then Stefan Molyneux will be on Dave Rubin's show. And then you go down this pipeline and eventually, you know, you're listening to Jordan Taylor and uh, Richard Spencer at the, the far extremes of it. Oh, man, yeah. I've uh, had to watch a lot of Stephen Molyneux videos for this. And uh, for folks who don't know, Jared Taylor is, uh, I think he's the head of the National Renaissance Journal. It's trying to put some sort of scientific, I don't know, patrician patina over uh, old-fashioned race hate. And this Jared Taylor guy is kind of like a, an old-timey uh, Richard Spencer type figure. This weird airy accent that kind of gives him a little bit more credence. <laughs> you know, you know how Sargon of a Cad sounds as if he has like a little bit more intelligence than he actually does, just because of his British accent. <laughs> I think Jared Taylor gets away with it because he says white like what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, white supremacy sounds more genteel than white supremacy. So you started with Joe Rogan, and that was so much fun dragging him that uh, you guys went in for more. Well, I mean, it's, it's crazy how you talk about how they're all kind of interconnected. Um, when we started doing this, we were really big on the idea that race is a social construct. And that was kind of like the ethos behind a lot of these videos. But it's crazy how that plays into so many of their mantras, like that there is a superiority to certain races or classes. You know, it usually comes down to classes if they're not outright racists. But the idea that there has to be an innate, uh, you know, race realism as to why there is the difference in classes, like you have to justify it somehow. So... It, it seemed to be like a focal point of a lot of the stuff we put out. We'd be like, oh, it comes back down to this. It comes back down to the fact that race is a social construct. It's completely man-made. And the idea that you're innately born with, you know, superior traits or abilities or something that justifies why you might be in a certain class is bullshit. Yeah, so you're bullshit detectors, professional bullshit detectors. All right, hashtag up the surfs. Uh, next, we have American Johnson with non-compete. What got you into this content creation biz? Well, you know, George Soros called me into his office and he said, <laughs> you've been doing good work, son. Uh, you've been showing up to all the protests. Um, how would you like a YouTube channel? Uh, I, took, I took the job. No, I, I, I'm actually pretty new to the left. Uh, I, I was a right-wing libertarian most of my life until I was about 28, 29 years old, maybe. I had a brief stint with liberalism. I, I flirted with that for a little while. and uh, But I think it's the same story a lot of people have. Uh, Bernie Sanders kind of like was kind of my gateway drug. And um, then Donald Trump got elected and it was just had me looking for answers. So, um, so that's why I took the job from George Soros and uh, that's why I'm here today basically. So, but wow. uh, yeah, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot really fast. And um, I, I, I basically, I guess my impetus for starting my channel was just to, cause it was, it was difficult for me coming in as like in a, you know, a 30, I was like 31 years old when I first got into like real hardcore leftism. And um it was just kind of a trial by fire. Uh, you know, I made a lot of mistakes. I, I got um, flamed a lot in like left book Facebook groups. <laughs> so I decided just to kind of, my, you know, make content that would help people who are kind of new to the left or just starting to dip their toe in the water. Yeah, man, I've watched a lot of your videos and uh, 
I got to say, maybe the most impressive one, and I don't have the uh, name of the clip in front of me, but um, it was this uh, video you did where you were addressing your former compatriots in uh, this right libertarian sphere and telling them, you know, I was there. I was one of you. I've been there before. And this is the reason why your worldview is inherently contradictory and why libertarian socialism is better. Yeah, exactly. I'm actually looking at the name of that clip because I don't I never watch my own videos after. This. <laughs> um, I think that you're talking about maybe why I'm a libertarian socialist. So yes. Dot, dot, dot. Socialist. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. <the one. laughs> um, yeah, no, actually, that was a that was one that was a long time coming because I have my original idea for non-compete was to make it a blog that targeted specifically right wing libertarians because I speak that language. I know, you know, I know how those people think because I was one for so long. Um, but you know, once I started to really get into leftism, I was like, you know, maybe I need to prepare more for this because, um, you know, there's some, there, you know, I just, I just needed to learn how to articulate things a little bit better before I jumped into that. So I was actually a little bit nervous making that video. So it makes me feel good to hear that you, at least somebody enjoyed it. So, yeah, man, that's really important. Uh, I was fortunate never myself to be a, uh, right wing libertarian Ron Paul type guy, but, uh, there are a ton of those people out there and we're all familiar with the way that, uh, Libertarianism is kind of blended into the alt-light, into the alt-right, and then, of course, into straight-up Nazism. So uh, you can speak their language, and so if you can get to these people before they are, I don't know, running around with a tiki torch yelling, Jews will not replace us, that's a very valuable service, I'd say. Yeah, and that, did, that didn't exist when I was, because, I mean, I'm 35 years old, so, like, uh, when I was really hard, hard into the right-wing libertarian stuff, um, the alt-right, as we know it, didn't exist. So... Um, I, I mean, I, to me, it's like a there, but for the grace of God go, I think, because I was like right. a total neck beard, like misogynist creep when I was in my early 20s. And if there was this pipeline at that time, I am like absolutely positive I would have gotten sucked into it. So I'm a little bit fortunate, you know, just by the fact that I got a few years on some of these younger people today, although there are people from all, you know, of all ages that are in the alt right now. So, well, you're definitely fighting the good fight, man. Uh, so Nick, uh, you and Naomi have created this project means.tv. What's up with that? Yeah. Naomi's the other half of, uh, means media. Yeah. So, uh, maybe like two years ago or so, uh, I got involved with like DSA and, uh, I started hanging around street fight radio a lot and very quickly, like, those folks and experiences like shaped my worldview. And uh, we sort of decided Naomi and I, who was also Naomi was, you know, uh, doing organizing and kind of activism around socialism and stuff. Um, and also worked in PR and marketing. And I worked in film production um, and like commercials. And so we were kind of trying to figure out like where we plug in, like how can we be helpful? Um, and we started filming all these different comedy shows around the country and then we started doing political work and we did the campaign video for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Yeah, that went viral, right? Yeah. And so we were we started to kind of like realize like, oh, you know, we can really make an impact if we're bringing like really high end production to this kind of space and like trying to deliver that in a way where people are seeing all sorts of personalities that they like. Um, and so that's kind of where we came to the uh, creation of like Means TV, which is like the world's first worker owned uh, anti-capitalist streaming service, sort of bringing together all these different podcasters and comedians and writers and directors and filmmakers on the left and creating like a, a, a cooperative platform in which we can all kind of gain wealth, uh, do projects, um, you know, build on 
our successes and our like content mutually in order to compete with these like right wing people we see building power um, on YouTube. And all stuff. right. Good stuff all around. Uh, so I guess my next question for all of you is um, what do you attribute the right wing slant of YouTube to? Um, is it a sociological phenomenon like, um, for example, it serves as this this perfect outlet for angry white men to address other angry white men about what makes them angry? Uh, is it unique to those creators? Uh, is it a reflection of our debased and destructive political culture? Or is there something about YouTube being a capitalist enterprise owned by a massive media conglomerate with an explicit profit motive that overdetermines what gets the most clicks or all of the above? Well, you know, lest this whole thing become a huge uh, lefty circle jerk, I do want to say that uh, America Johnson has an excellent video on the subject called the PewDiePie Pipeline, which uh, yeah, detail. <laughs> um, thanks, for the, thanks for the pitch. My like most demonetized video. If David Rubin could take all that Coke money, there's no reason why we can't have some of our own, you know? Um, yeah, right. I, I personally think, uh, and it's it's been well documented at this point, that YouTube's algorithms reward certain kinds of behavior. And YouTube's algorithms change over time, but there was a certain point at which it started rewarding uh, view, uh, viewer time. So it's basically the algorithms, uh, it's designed to make people watch as much content for as long as possible. Like what keeps you glued to the platform for forever, essentially. And uh, for people like, say, Sargon of Akkad, who's willing to do a three or four hour unedited response video to like a 10 minute video by a feminist, if he's capable of ranting for four hours about that and keeping viewership by people who uh, might really be looking for that kind of content, it rewards him and it will reward his channel. And they'll start putting Sargon of Akkad videos in the search function, in the top of the front page of YouTube, on the right sidebar where it says up next. So because of that, because so many of these guys were doing it for so long, if you spend like, you know, 10 or 20 minutes on YouTube as a new user now, you'll get a Jordan Peterson video in your up next feed, even though you haven't been searching anything to do with that. Like it doesn't need any relevance to be, you know, thrown into the, the pipeline, so to speak. And there's really something to be said for um, the beginnings of this in that a lot of these people on the alt-right were essentially deplatformed on various other mediums and found a home on YouTube where it's it's very easy for those guys just to set up a camera in some dank den and then just rant <laughs> for four hours. Um, and those people, people who are already, say, on that side who crave white nationalist rhetoric or misogynistic, or misogynistic rhetoric. <laughs> rhetoric are looking for that kind of, um, you know, uh, content and unfiltered content and it, it just existed with i guess the general public and and the average person just sort of unaware it's just sort of creeping underneath oh it. okay so that actually explains a lot about the joe rogan phenomenon or uh experience you know the guy is able to sit there for four hours and have like a um halfway decent conversation even though he sits there like a like a dumb amoeba just sort of like you know getting information through osmosis and yeah, I mean, how long did you have Alex Jones on for? Was that three and a half or four hours? Oh, God. Well, it's not just that, too. It's also they, they were really good at cross-pollinization, right? Like, that's something that they did better than a lot of other people were doing. So if you think of you've got this giant network of people who are on the right, and they could be associated by their backers or funding, like Koch Brothers money might, uh, you know, find its way into a couple of their coffers and pockets. But if you have people who are willing to have these long platforms and then cross-pollinate with each other, like I said, you've got... Dave Rubin, who's on Joe Rogan frequently and vice versa. And uh, Stephen Molyneux was popping up in their circles before the whole, you know, black brains don't weigh as much as white brains kind of oh. 
controversial. And Jordan uh, Peterson, obviously. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, so when they when they cross-pollinate with each other, that's how they start building these monstrous audiences because all the fans from one group will move to the other, uh, which, I mean, is essentially something we're trying to mimic, too. We're, we're basically <laughs> copying the alt-right playbook when it comes to that. That's why it's awesome when someone, uh, or like what you're doing right now, for example. I mean, we're really getting back to that circle jerk territory. <laughs> I mean, they already accuse us of being soy boys and uh, not being heteronormative just for being on the left. So, uh, you know, just five men uh, in a circle jerking off together that's fine that's that's the future that leftists want uh, <laughs> all right, so non-compete uh why don't you take a shot at this question what, what's this right wing slant all about on uh youtube so I, I have a marketing background just to just to add to the dark cloud surrounding my my his personal history um i'm, I'm a you know professional marketer uh and to me I, it's no surprise that the you know fascists have always been savvy you know going all the way back to like like the third Reich where they were the first people to be using like a lot of electric amplification for the speeches they were making. They had like cutting edge film techniques. So, I mean, so they've always been kind of on the cutting edge of communication. They've always been pretty good at the, like presenting this like glitzy glamorous image. Um, and so it's no surprise to me that the, that the fascists have found a way to kind of really uh, latch on to just basically modern marketing techniques, social, social media marketing techniques. Um, I mean, a lot of the tactics and strategies they're using are, are, very, very common when, you know, in the digital marketing world, when it comes to things like inbound marketing and sales funnels and, you know, those kinds of strategies. So, so we're basically just seeing um, basically just really good social media strategy uh, in action, uh, you know, politically. And it's, it's a little bit terrifying how, how, I mean, they, they know how the algorithms work. They game the algorithms. Uh um, And, and there's a lot, this is like such a hydra. That's kind of the thing. Like, it's kind of like your introduction. There's so many different aspects to it. Um, they're gaming the system. The system's making money off of them. It's all it's all inter interconnected. And then there's also like this, um, what I would call the unconscious aspect of it. Uh, you know, in my PewDiePie pipeline video, I talk about stochastic terrorism, which is this concept right. that uh, bad actors can basically hide in plain sight and promote things like violence. And I would say also radicalize people, kind of, um, you know, like from, from a distance, you get some, you mainstream ideas enough and you mainstream hate enough and, you know, fascist political ideology enough. And, and it starts out kind of as a joke, you know, or, or like just shitty attitudes. But once those kind of like, once they kind of like mainstream or normalize these ideas a little bit, uh, it's much easier for people to kind of advance up the steps of, of, you know, violence and hate and, and just extreme right-wing ideology. Uh, it's, it's, Really pretty terrifying. Yeah, and, I mean, um, uh, just to kind of bring things down to earth here and uh, point to the, you know, real world consequences of this. We're recording on a Sunday and it was only just yesterday that there was a repeat of this kind of stochastic violence, this meme massacre uh, in San Diego with an attack on a synagogue. And thankfully, you know, not as many people were hurt and killed, but people still lost their lives. And, um, you know, this is definitely creating an environment where these things, uh, you know, seem to be more and more common these days. Absolutely. And, and I can tell you, because in the in the PewDiePie pipeline video that I made, which was talking about essentially uh why I was basically just trying to explain how society influences the individual and individuals influence society. You know, there's like this feedback loop. And so if you normalize racist jokes that normalize, that leads to the normalization of racist attitudes and beliefs. And then that can lead towards, you know, racist ideology. Um, so, you know, the basic idea was like, when we, when we make it socially acceptable to make like a racist or a sexist or whatever kind of joke, 
that just increases stochastically. It increases statistically the likelihood that someone somewhere is going to either radically activate politically, you know, as like a fascist or engage in an act of terrorism, like this terrible thing that happened, you know, in yeah, California. Uh, um, just to define it for those people out there who aren't science and math people, uh, stochastic is defined as having a random probability distribution or pattern that may be analyzed statistically, but may not be predicted precisely. So it, it's kind of a stand-in for this conception of the lone wolf terrorist. Uh, however, it's pointing to this uh, kind of context, uh, the, this systemic context that it's in where you don't know when the uh, next attack is going to come, but there is always this random probability. It's And it's really actually very similar to the way marketing works. Um, I mean, that's why I believe so so strongly in the idea of stochastic terrorism, because I've done marketing and I've seen how people react, you know, in a, on the when it comes to mass communication level type situations. Uh, you know, if, if you show an advertisement for a cheeseburger for Hardee's to a million people, the likelihood that one of those people is going to go to Hardee's and buy a cheeseburger goes up. You know, right. everyone who sees the cheeseburger commercial isn't going to go out and buy a burger. But you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to increase the likelihood that someone is going to act. And so bad actors through stochastic processes, stochastic social processes, can do basically the same thing. They can normalize these ideas. They can present them to people and and drive up the likelihood that somebody's going to act or somebody's going to activate. So um, it really it sounds like like when you call it stochastic terrorism or stochastic radicalism or whatever, that that sounds really like highfalutin. But it's really a, a pretty basic, simple concept, which is that if we normalize racist attitudes, people are more likely to become nor more likely to become racist. So um the comments that I receive again and again and again on the PewDiePie pipeline video where I talk about this stuff, I, I like repeatedly, it's like every day I get five or 10 of these comments. It's died down a little bit lately, but um, they're saying like making racist jokes isn't a big deal. Making racist jokes isn't really that bad. You saying the N word isn't really racist. And it's just like, it's just so normalized now, especially with young white men yeah. uh, that, you know, you can you can say you, that, that basically words don't matter, that you can make a joke that dehumanizes a vulnerable group of people and it doesn't matter. And so my argument is that words do matter and that even if and it's you know, and I, I would say that it's very unlikely. But even if you are making these jokes and you don't have any kind of internalized racism yourself and you really are sincerely just joking, that those jokes that you're making affect other people. And maybe somebody else is, more, you know, in fact, most people are more sensitive to ideas and words. And, uh -huh. you know, if, if you're engaging in society, you're going to affect society. And then the wider society, as these things normalize, is going to affect you as an individual, unless you're aware of the process and you're, you're aware of how these things happen. And, it, it, and um, I'll stop soon, but there's one more really important point to make, which is this idea of uh, this is another science word, but I'll, I'll break this one down for you <laughs> because I, I missed the last one. But like pseudo and I'm learning all this stuff. So, I, you know, I'm not an expert or anything, but um, pseudo speciation is, is this concept that I've discovered, which is basically that we have these. And I and I, you know, I think everyone listening will probably know what I'm talking about. We have these internal mechanisms that prevent us from doing harm to other human beings. Sure. So like when you're walking down the street, you're very unlikely to just punch a stranger in the face because you have this like internal fail safe to not harm other human beings. But then when you, when you pseudo speciate somebody, when you, what, what that means is you're basically like creating a false species, an, an other species of human being. So for instance, if you're racist against black people, you're going to see yourself as more human and you're going to see them as less human. And that breaks down those fail safes that prevent you from hurting other human beings. And they allow you to cause violence, whether it's verbal violence or, or it accelerates to physical violence, like 
violence like we saw in New Zealand or like we saw in California yesterday, it, it drives up the likelihood that that's going to happen if you're having these racist attitudes and beliefs. So um, it's it's you know it's it's, it's scary stuff and um, and it's ha and we're seeing it happen and, and seeing it play yeah, out. Yeah, and, and we're talking about YouTube, but um, you know there's there's other parts of the internet. You know, people might start on YouTube with a Joe Rogan episode, and then uh, at some point they'll end up on 4chan, they'll end up on 8chan, and then maybe Stormfront or Daily Stormer, whatever it is. Uh, there are a lot of dark places on the internet uh, where, you know, violent acts are celebrated and also uh, even planned. And then, of course, as we've seen after uh, these people will plan their violent racist attacks, uh, they will post the live stream from 8chan to facebook which is another platform another place for this to spread it's a nexus it's all it's all it's all connected i mean um and, and that's what and, and and it requires a certain level of savviness to connect all those pieces together and that's what i'm you know that's what concerns me the most but the but the good news is we're doing better on the left we're doing a lot better and we're we're building our own networks very quickly which is why i'm really excited to talk to um to talk about the means TV project. I, I've been hearing yeah. about this a lot. I, I, I'm excited to learn a lot more about that because I've been hearing a lot about it. And um, I'm really glad I got to come in here, you know, and hear it from the, from the horse's mouth. Ah, what a perfect segue to throw this question to Nick. What, what, what's your take on this, man? Yeah. I mean, I think it's um, it's whether it's YouTube or Twitter or Facebook, like these are corporations that have just algorithm, like their business is based on algorithms and like uh, rewarding paid ads, rewarding promotional ads. And so like, you know, on YouTube, for example, it's like our channel isn't monetized because we don't want ads playing before our videos. So it's like, why would YouTube have any incentive to push our videos? Um, but I think in a larger sense, like the YouTube, internet, Twitter, every sort of internet platform having this uh, right-wing slant is just the coming together of like corporations being inherently like fascist and benefiting from inciting racism and creating fascism and like a corporate state, um, as well as just a right-wing media that is extremely well-financed in comparison to left-wing media. Like I really reject the idea that these are like smart people or that they're like, like we're smarter than, like the left is smarter than these people. We're smarter than these people. They're like, there's nothing really that unique about them other than the fact that there's so much money being poured into these initiatives and like even steven crowder is funded by the saudi prince like if you look at uh ben shapiro's paid facebook advertising he's spending hundreds of thousands of dollars just on paid posts so it's somebody's financing these things and we just don't have access to that same amount of capital and resources and that's been the same through history and that's why you know they may be on the cutting edge of these different technologies but they're just implementing like fairly basic marketing techniques clearly have like a staff of like eight people or 20 people implementing these things because they're so well financed where all the rest of us are just bootstrapping this sort of thing. So I really think it's the, yeah, the nexus of just a, a really well financed, right. And corporations benefiting from a, a, a political shift towards fascism. Yeah. It's really that age old collective power problem, you know, capital has the state's resources on its side. Uh, it has tons of money. It has the ability to hire people and put them to work to uh, you know, get their agenda out there. Whereas the only thing the working class really ever has is our own collective strength and solidarity. I don't know, media, it, it's similar to something like organizing a campaign in your neighborhood or even forming a union or something like that. You're only as strong as your collective solidarity with one another. And we've been on the back foot with that for many decades now. So it's kind of something that we're relearning at this late date. 
Yeah, exactly. And yeah, this is just a modern manifestation. The same was true with cable news. Like there, it's not like there was a, uh, anarchist perspective on cable television. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, we should give ourselves credit in that, like, we are smarter than these people. Like we have more diverse, uh, skills and backgrounds and, uh, people to pull from with like diverse experiences. And like, we can really speak in a way that's authentic more than these people and develop messaging better than these people. But we, what we don't have is six social media people working for our shitty YouTube channel, you know what I mean? Or whatever. Right. So it's like, we're, we're just playing on totally different fields. Um, but we, th at the end of the day, we create better art, we create better content. So like, I think that's what we need to be leaning into. Better art and better content. Well, there is nobody more artful uh, with shittier content than Stephen Molyneux. So uh, let's let's listen to a clip here from the Surf's uh, satirical infomercial called Molinex. Most importantly of all, and something certainly a neuroscientist like Sam Harris should be fully aware of, is that modern research into genetics, including work by the Human Genome Project, has proven race to be a social construct. Race is not a valid biological variable. Differences we primates often like to classify people by are different genetic variations typically involving outward appearance. Not that any of this science is enough to sway berserker IQ masterpiece Stefan Molyneux. After all, Stefan Molyneux will be quick to point out that some of history's greatest minds, such as Voltaire, David Hume, and Immanuel Kant proposed the existence of different mental abilities amongst the races. So why shouldn't you? I mean, some of them also measured skulls, but that, it's, that's okay, right? I mean, we're talking about a man who was brought to tears at the ability to openly celebrate his white pride. It is an appalling thing to take away people's history. It is an appalling thing to take away people's pride. And it is an appalling thing to take away their unity. Because I've never felt it more strongly than I do today. So ask your doctor about Molinex today. Because if you're going to be racist, you might as well have a reason to justify it. Side effects may include... Can a complete piece of human garbage turn into emaciated Mr. Clean? Get into the money from the cook brothers, bleeding their black brains, way less than white ones, ruining people's lives by propagating central eugenics programs. Bowing down before the Indian king, staying on the fringes of the intellectual dark web because you're too racist to for air crimes. Ha! Owned. All right. Uh, next, now let's uh, do a non-compete video uh, where he pokes fun of men's rights, uh, the pickup artist movement, MGTOW, and uh, all their hatred of feminism. Hello and welcome back to Non-Compete. I'm America Johnson and today we're going to be talking about feminism. These days feminism is feminism. Are you talking about feminism? Uh, yeah. Hi, Necky Beard. Uh, I was just explaining that feminism is a very- Guy, you just said it again. Don't you know what that word means? Yeah, of course I know what feminism means. Feminism is total bullshit. And feminists are just a bunch of whiny females who want to take rights away from men and put women in charge of society. What? are you talking about, Necky Beard? That is not true at all. Feminists just want all genders to be equal. We have a word for equality already, American. It's called egalitarianism. Ever heard of it? Feminism is just another word for misandrism, and that means the hatred of men. Uh, yeah, I know what misandrism means, but that's not what feminism is at all. <laughs> this is your brain on soy. Everybody look at the soy boy. This guy over here, he thinks that feminists want equality. <laughs> Necky Beard, just calm down, okay? Let's figure this out together. Uh, why do you think that feminists hate men? Well, they say they hate men all the time. 
Have you ever actually talked to a feminist necky beard? Yes, I've talked to hundreds of feminists. Wait, where? Where have you talked to hundreds of feminists? Well, on Twitter, obviously. Necky beard, threatening women on Twitter is not the same as talking to them. I've explained this to you a million times. Okay. All right, now that we've sent up those jerk offs, let's check out a video uh, from Means TV with comedian Sarah June called What is Capitalism? I'm here at my home in Los Angeles, California to give you the guide to tremendous, lasting wealth success. How are you gonna get there? Everyone wants to know. One word, easy answer. Capitalism, capitalism. Capitalism is a mode of production. That means the way you make stuff. Under capitalism, there are two ways to make money and you definitely have to make money. If you're lucky, you own something like an apple farm or a glue factory and that makes you the owning class. Nice. If you don't own anything, uh, you're part of the working class and you make your money by selling your labor. You pretty much sell your labor until you retire. Sorry, let's uh, take that again. You pretty much sell your labor until you die. If you're a part of the owning class, there are a couple of rules about what you can and can't do, but ultimately you're the one who decides how the product is made, where the profits go, and how much you pay your workers. In a perfect capitalist society, everything is a money-making opportunity. You see a public utility? What if it was privately owned by you, huh? See a bus? Put an ad on that shit. See a sidewalk? Put a rental scooter on it, because the buses don't work. Plus, they're covered in your ads. Ah, uh, excellent work all around. Um, here's a question for everybody, a fun little question. Of all the right-wing dipshits online, who do you think is the worst and or the most dangerous and why? Go ahead, surfs. I think it's really easy to point the finger at uh, people who just seem completely and utterly, you know, insane like someone like you know alex jones when it comes on and talking about the lizard people and all that kind of stuff it's easy to look at that and be like well you know that's crazy and, and racist and like you know i don't have any time for that uh it's the people who have giant platforms that don't seem quite as uh you know i'd say brazen in their statements like someone like jordan peterson for example he was a really hard guy to pin down for a while because he has so many you know he's got a lot of speeches that might not have anything to do with identity politics or cultural Marxism or anything like that, where it just talks about, uh, you know, simple things about psychology and for aimless, you know, boys without uh, purpose, the ideas of cleaning your room and stuff like that um, really attach them uh, and it really helps them kind of try to identify with the problem they have with themselves. Uh, so I think people who don't necessarily label themselves as outright cretins, right? Uh, I don't know, did you have something? No, I was actually going to say Jordan Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, is is I guess that's the burden we that's the that's our cross the bear because we're Canadians at the end of the day. So. <laughs> yeah, it's call out time. It might even be cancel time. Uh, maybe as the resident Canadians here, you could tell us why the fuck David from Jordan Peterson, Laura Southern. And uh, even Stephen Molyneux are coming down to invade our country. It's like Canada is not sending its best. No, <laughs> we, keep, we keep our best in the borders. We send the best. <laughs> yeah, no, dead ass. Like as a sidebar, what the fuck is up with that? Everybody's all those grifters are just out for the money, right? And that's where the money's at. There ain't no money grifting up here. Sorry, Maybe it's an argument against open borders. I don't know. <laughs> Man, the U.S. is just the the land of the grift. Uh, it seems like even a lot of the the left content that's coming out seems to be directed towards the United States. It's like uh, it's like our own hegemony over the uh, of the content world. <laughs> I mean, part, it, like it partly is obviously an audience thing, but I think especially for, I mean, Canadians, Lance and I in particular, like we're just so inundated with American news. Um, and it, it really does drive Canadian policies as well. Like 
you know, oh. imperialism is lit, you know, <laughs> you guys want. <laughs> but yeah, since World War II, I mean, you know, the United States has pretty much dominated the globe and, you know, hence the media and everything else that comes along with it. Uh, so, so here's a not at all awkward transition from uh, U.S. imperialism. Uh, let's go over to Vietnam and uh, see what non-compete thinks about this. Who's the worst? Um, so, I mean, I, 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 I thought about this a lot and um, I was thinking about, you know, like I had I was trying to think, you know, if I was in my early 20s when I was in that really like impressionable age, like who would be influencing me and, you know, possibly radicalizing me to the extreme right. And I, you know, I've, I spent a lot of time watching these YouTube videos and I think the ones that are really probably just don't get enough um, attention in terms of the, the harm they do are the like hundreds, probably thousands of smaller YouTubers. So I'm going to go back and put on my marketing hat again, but like about 10 or 15 years ago, there was this big, everyone was talking about long tail marketing, which is this idea that instead of being like, trying to be like the big fish in the pond, instead of being, um, you know, Epson selling printers or IBM selling business technology, you want to be like, you can, you can take this strategy where you're like a smaller niche market and you're never going to be as big as those big fish, but you're selling like a lot of these little things to a lot of little people. And, um, I think that there's this, like, again, the, the danger of the whole YouTube, all the social media stuff is that it's like this big networked conglomerate of content and it's just being jammed out. Like there's so much of it. And then the way the algorithm works, you know, every time you watch a video, the algorithm's like scrambling, looking for something to show you next. And it's kind of a numbers game. You know, when you look at that bar on the right side of your screen, when you're watching a YouTube video, they're recommending, you know, you could scroll down infinitely. And if you have like thousands and thousands of videos coming out every year, your message is just more likely to get, you know, signal boosted into that, into those recommendation algorithms. And also these smaller YouTubers, um, you know, some of them, like, like I actually don't want to name any names because I don't want to signal boost any of these, but there's like, you know, there, there are some of them are, are very, they're very good at talking. Even if their ideas are just horrendously terrible, they can talk a good talk and, and, you know, and they reinforce each other. They collaborate with each other a lot. And, uh, you know, those are the ones that I think would be the ones that would be pulling me in because like the big rock stars, I mean, obviously they have, a, they do a lot of damage and they do a lot of harm, but I think the ones that are actually radicalizing people more than, more than people might realize are probably going to be these smaller YouTubers who have, you know, a, maybe five, 10, 15, 20,000 subscribers, but those subscribers are listening every day they're listening you know they're really cued in they're su they're supporting these people on patreon and everything and those are the ones that I, I i would probably have been radicalized by you know in my youth yeah since uh we started our family friendly communist podcast over a year ago we've become more and more familiar with this concept of parasocial relationships and it makes sense what you're saying because somebody like uh, Joe Rogan or Jordan Peterson come off as these uh, rock star figures that you can never really get close to but um, you know a smaller youtuber who's just a quote-unquote normal person like you uh, you can actually develop a kind of parasocial friendship with them and maybe you trust them more than you might even you know one of these more famous figures They'll, they'll yeah. take they'll take a big thinker like Jordan Peterson or, or I, I just called Jordan Peterson a big thinker that I, I really <laughs> <don't know. laughs> uh, actually we're going to clip that out and we're just going to uh, play it over and over again over music. And that's just going to be this entire episode. It's going to be great. Yeah, just like the old school, uh, you're the man now, dog meme, huh? Okay, I deserve it. I deserve it. <laughs> but they'll take they'll take somebody like Jordan Peterson or Stephen Stephen Molyneux. I cannot say that name. And they will um, and they'll package it in a million different ways. And they'll take the ideas of fascism and they'll package them, you know, and deliver them to all these different niche audiences. So, like, if you're really into video games, 
you know, there are there there are hundreds of alt-right video game YouTubers out there ready to play your favorite game and talk to you for three hours while they're like, you know, Twitch streaming. There, if you are really into like guns, there are tons of gun YouTube channels that are like, you know, focused towards this alt-right mentality. And, and so that's kind of like that's the real danger of it because you know, Jordan Peterson's like this old professorial Kermit the Frog lobster guy you know and, and probably not going to appeal to young people in and of himself but what happens is jordan peterson goes on podcasts jordan peterson goes on youtube channels and talks to these cooler younger hipper people and then starts to get some notice and then other smaller youtubers will take the ideas and package them even more like into these niche audiences and it's just filtering down and filtering out into all these different like subcultures and paracultures and that's you know there's a lot of danger to that i think that's i think that's how it's reaching a lot of people okay folks uh so get ready sometime in the next four or five years for uh some youtube streamer named i don't know uh stressor turf uh 88 to be debating zizek somewhere uh at a theater near you all right nick from means tv you're up who's the worst I mean, I think they're all pretty shitty, honestly. Like, I think they're all pretty That's comparable. Fair. I think they kind of pull on a lot of the same messaging from each other. So, I mean, yeah, I would say I, I think they're all pretty equally shitty. I, I guess I'll go next and uh, give the official anti-fada line, if I can speak for uh, Jamie and Andy. And actually, Andy gave me some more background information about this guy last night when I was at a party at his house. Um, I probably tipped my hand earlier because I've, said his name several times now but i think the most dangerous guy is stephen molyneux um he was an actor he seems relatively intelligent uh he's very self-confident he has a sort of uh superficial charisma and uh yeah he i think that if you were to follow him through his entire career you would go from anarcho-capitalism to um uh, Defu, which is uh, what Andy told me about, which is um, disassociating yourself with your family of origin, which is classic cult behavior, to then getting into race science with Charles Murray and now being like a straight up uh, white nationalist who hangs around with Laura Southern and that Jared Taylor guy we were talking about. And it's a superficial charisma that he has, but it is real and he's no idiot. And uh, he's, he's Basically, he's got that vibe where he's like a cross between that cult leader from Heaven's Gate, that Marshall Applewhite guy uh, with those fucking crazy psychotic eyes. And also, uh, I guess, like Tom Cruise from Magnolia. So, yeah, that's my pick. Stephen Molyneux all the way. And, uh, you know, Trump happened here and nobody saw that coming. So for all we know, uh, Stefan will be the next uh, prime minister of Canada. Uh, you know, who knows? I, I agree with you. What like his his ethos is probably amongst the more uh, you know he's got the more dangerous. Uh, I don't even know how I would word it, but he's he's like he's not appealing to um, everyday kids, right? Like they 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 are watching gamers on YouTube way more than they're watching people like him. They're they're listening to Keemstar, you know, someone who is like an alt lighter alt adjacent kind of personality who's got you know hundreds of thousands of kids watching him on a regular basis. And when you talk to people, I don't know if you've spoken to uh, Faraday Speaks, but I know American Johnson's had him on a show before, right. and he was yeah. he was an ex alt writer who went down the pipeline from start to finish uh, in college. And he he said numerous times like it took people in that same sphere, like the sphere that speaks to kids his age uh to take him out of that and for him it was a, a gamer called destiny 
Yeah, Destiny is, uh, you know, he talks really, really quickly, like Ben Shapiro. And, and he also has, uh, he's very, very knowledgeable. And he has all these people on his show constantly. Like, he, he's never afraid of having Lauren Southern on his show or Sargon of Cat on his show and just demolishes them. And he's 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 not a, you know, he's not a, a far leftist by any means, but he he's done excellent work at deprogramming kids. Um, just by showing, like, when you hold your heroes up to them and, you, and, you, and their their thoughts and ideas are put under scrutiny and they they just sound like complete clowns, it, it's a great way to deprogram them. Which we saw with Jordan Peterson. I mean, it, with with the debate with, with Zizek, these people are great when they're talking to their own crowd, but they collapse pretty rapidly. They tend to collapse pretty rapidly when they're talking to people who actually know how to challenge their ideas. Yeah, Nick, did you subject yourself to that uh, Jordan Peterson Zizek debate at all? I, I yeah, purposely did not subject myself to that. <laughs> uh, I caught a few clips though, and I mean, yeah, but it's like again, it's like, it's just the we're so much smarter than these people. Like anybody on the left can explain how Jordan Peterson's worldview is like has all these contradictions, and it's like it's about finding yeah ways to like build up ourselves on the left so that we can compete in the same way that like in a similar way, I think. Yeah. I mean, again, to just broaden this out from like the specifics of the media to the issues of the larger left, you know, this is something that we we've, I think always had a problem with on the left, which is that the right and the far right, the, even the nationalist center can come up with really easy answers and simple answers for the problems that exist in the world. Uh, it could be not enough free trade. Uh, it could be too many migrants. It could be disrespect for the family or for the country. It could be cultural Marxism. Uh, you know, these are all obviously incorrect directions to point the finger at, but they're very compelling because they're very simple. It isolates a very easy to see enemy in front of you that doesn't take much work to blame. Whereas we on the left, you know, we have uh, some quite advanced and complex theories about how the world works. And it takes us an entire lifetime, you know, to really get to the bottom of what, you know, exploitation is, what domination is, how the state works, you know, even what bosses are and what money is, uh, let alone a kind of grander structural critique of uh, capitalist political economy. So I think we'll always have a harder time uh, getting our message across because we, we can't just blame it on the Jews. Ours is a job of consciousness raising about very complex things that we have to present in a, a, a simple to understand and also not completely fucking boring way. I mean, you can really easily get into the weeds of like leftist ideology, um, which is why I think it's really important what we're doing, what all of us are doing in terms of breaking down these ideas, making explainer videos. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's a working class movement. And I have a BA in like, you know, marketing and film production and stuff like that. Like, I, I don't really have the background for philosophical analysis and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think I think we can break down these ideas and we could take these dusty old, you know, multi-century old books and we can freshen them up. And there are some great YouTubers who do just like excellent work at doing that. So one of them would be like Visionary Oaks. Another one would be Radical Reviewer. Um, there are lots and lots of great explainers out there. And then ContraPoints is like another, um, so, you know, I think we can package, we could package our ideas a lot better. Um, and we're, we're, we're doing that now. So, you know, I, I, I don't think, uh, I think that, that, that will be, we can turn that into a strength for ourselves because our ideas are rooted in reality. And, you know, if you could like pull back the curtain and show, you know, who the wizard really is back there, um, in a, in a way that's fun and engaging and, 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 you know updated for our times 
um, that's going to have a lot of impact. I think. Yeah, like, uh, I mean, I don't want to fucking keep harping on it, but the uh, Peterson Zizek debate was, uh, was another example of this. Uh, fucking, you saw, I mean, thousands and thousands of people saw Jordan Peterson, the supposed, you know, intellectual uh, from the dark web, you know, who is this, um, this leader for so many, uh, especially young men, get completely fucking owned by Zizek. He was not prepared. He's like, I read the Communist Manifesto before I showed up and Zizek fucking schooled him. And that was a very, very valuable moment. Even though I don't think Zizek is maybe the best representative for Marxism, but you know that's a whole different story. Yeah, I do think that we are capable of doing it, uh, of spreading the word like that, and I do believe that if we are given a fair hearing, of course, and a platform, uh, that we can beat these people in the free exchange of ideas. And there are some really amazing, just like straight up, you know, like like legit working class content creators coming out who are really good at packaging it for. You know, just average people. And I think that's so important. Like there's Bo of the Fifth Column. I'm from the South. I'm from the Southeast United States. So like Bo of the Fifth Column is like a hero and an icon to me because he's able to take leftist ideas and package it for like, you know, like Southern good old boy kind of kind of audience. And it's really amazing to see that happening. There's like Christopher Sabo's another working class, Wobbly Street. Um, you know, I, I really love that there, there's all this effort being put into just breaking the stuff down and just plain easy to identify with ways. I think that's what's really important. Yeah, and I'll say this not just because I'm a huge uh, City Skylines fan uh, or nerd, but uh, Do Not Eat is doing some excellent work out there on um, capitalism, on history, on urban planning. And he is just one of many, uh, just like you guys, which is exciting to watch as uh, Bread 2 begins the fight back. So I guess I'd ask um, what sort of responses you guys have got, uh, positive and negative. Uh, Non-compete, Mr. Johnson, what do you got? Well, I mean, you know, to be perfectly frank, if you're, if you're going to get into uh, political YouTubing, you got to get ready to take some heat. Um, and I knew that going into it, you know, that like I absolutely knew that I would get like shit from alt-right fascist types right that wasn't surprising um the the stuff that does surprise me is like you know sometimes we can get strife within our leftist spheres that can be a little bit demoralizing but for the most part i mean the response has been really really positive um i just kind of like you have to just ignore because like there's so many trolls and and bots and stuff like that there i just i i I like i like take the really shitty stuff and just kind of don't even see it in my in my brain um but you know the, the response that i'm getting i think is is mostly just like uh, the positive response I'm getting is like liberals who are starting to realize that the things that they thought were helping, you know, these neoliberal and liberal and centrist uh, ideas that we can all just kind of get along and, and, and reform the system. And, you know, that, that that's not really holding a lot of water. It's not shown. It's not demonstrated any ability to liberate people who are suffering. So that's the stuff that makes me feel really good. You know, and then as, as far as like negative responses, I mean, you get the same comments. And that's that's something that I've learned is like I was kind of surprised by the lack of variety of of critiques to our ideas, to right. leftist ideas. I mean, it's just like the same three or four watered down, disingenuous, bad faith arguments again and again and again. And I, I, I think it's it, it, it gives me some hope, you know, because it means that, like, if anybody's actually coming to these ideas with like critical thinking and with any degree of like an open mind, I think it'll be really easy to win that person over. The trick really, I think, is like being welcoming and inviting and, I, you know, identifying with people and having them able to identify with you, with us, 
Um, that's going to be the, and, and that was something where I had a lot of difficulty coming into it as like a baby commie, you know, um, when I was first coming in and entering left book groups, you know, I misspoke. I didn't know the language. I made a lot of mistakes. I still make mistakes now. I get called out on them, you know, rightfully so. Um, but we have to find ways to like be, make a more welcoming environment, I think. And and something like we were talking about Faraday Speaks earlier, who was the former alt-right pseudo-Nazi um, who has now kind of moved over to the to the left side of things. It, when that happened, we didn't have any – like we were just shocked. You know, mm-hmm. like we didn't have a support network. I mean I've, I've, I've since learned that there are actually some like real-world support networks for like former Nazis and that sort of thing. But we don't have nearly enough infrastructure for like welcoming people over and like giving them some care – giving them some education, nurturing them in a way, in, in kind of like a, I hate to say this, but like in kind of like a safe space kind of environment where they can yeah. ask questions and, and say, and may, and say the wrong words and use the wrong language. You know, that it takes time to learn kind of all the ins and outs of being a leftist. And, and, and if I didn't have a thicker skin from being a obnoxious right-wing libertarian for my whole life, <laughs> I, probably, I probably would have gotten turned off by the, um, the negativity that I was receiving in those leftist Facebook groups. But um, right. fortunately I'm, I was used to kind of like, having online uh heat thrown my way so nick i believe that uh means tv got some press coverage some negative press coverage from the largest uh cable news network in the united states is that right yeah yeah a- so aoc very kindly retweeted one of our videos and uh talked about like you know crazy that young people are questioning the foundation of the economy that they pay them shit basically <laughs> uh, and like Fox News alert, like anything she says goes out. And so they did this whole thing on Fox News where they like played a clip from the video and they're like, AOC's getting behind this new video. And then they brought out like a guy from the Cato Institute, some other like blowhard. And they just like, just like sprayed shit on each other for three minutes and talked about the video. But so, uh, yeah, we've gotten a little bit of stuff like that. Um, kind of, you know, around uh, the AOC kind of connection and around like, a neon cat connection a little bit. What's that? So like if you go to our YouTube, youtube.com slash means TV, you'll also find the original neon cat video from 11 years ago. Um, <laughs> and that's because, uh, Sara June, who's in a bunch of our videos and is a director and like a very critical component of means TV. Um, it's her, ch- her old channel. So she created neon cat is like a, a young person. And, uh, it's still on there. So oh, yeah. uh, we're just, you know, yeah. So, um, but yeah, we haven't, we really haven't gotten like that much right wing stuff. I feel like, like, you know, we've gotten in a few articles, like the blaze, which is Glenn Beck <laughs> news network has covered us a little bit. And uh, you know, we get some trolls and stuff like that, but we also just kind of like, don't busy ourselves too much with all that stuff. It's more like fun to like, it's like end of the day. Like, let's see what, let's see who's mad at us. Yeah. So how about uh positive stuff that people reached out to you and been like, Oh, this one video really, you know, changed my yeah, mind. I mean, we've gotten a lot of people like sharing it on social and like a lot of really like a diverse amount of groups, like black lives matter groups, like uh, IWW groups, DSA, like all sorts of kind of leftist groups have been sharing the videos. as like a tool for um, their audiences, which is the goal and like something we feel great about. Um, and so that's been really positive. And then we've heard a lot from like filmmakers and directors and writers, um, who are frustrated with, you know, the systems they're feeling like they have to work in, or they're frustrated with being underpaid or knowing that they're doing, um, you know, sort of exploitative media work or are tired of being exploited themselves. And, 
um, that's been really cool too. Just like getting to have conversations with people and, and working with people who are passionate about this, work in digital media as professionals, but see all the problems um, that comes with that. All right. So, uh, okay. How about the surfs? Um, I think you guys see Nick's Fox News segment and will raise him a um, alt-right uh, report storm and deplatforming. Is that right? Yeah. So once you kind of get sucked into the YouTube algorithms uh, and you're a content creator, your videos start to get shown to a lot of new faces. Uh, that's when you start to realize that a lot of, like over half the population probably hates what you do. Um I think ContraPoints had a really good quote where she's like, uh, being a, a relatively successful YouTuber gives you the superpower where you can finally hear other people's thoughts. Because that's what the comments section is flooded with, you know, every kind of weird conspiracy theory I didn't want to know existed. Um, so we would get a lot of flaggings and we would get a lot of people commenting like we should mass flag these channels. And uh, we would get a lot of people commenting in our comment section en masse, uh, putting very racist comments and stuff like that, hoping that it would trigger uh youtube's like you know uh, content filters to try and like shut us down we don't know who because youtube hasn't uh, told us but our entire channel got taken down on april 1st on an april fool's joke right? <laughs> yeah. that was the it worst was really timing because no one believed us <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean like uh we just got an email that says your channel has been shut down for malicious practices and scamming uh, frauds and scams so that they said that we had been uh, trying to link people to the scam sites and other stuff like that stuff we had never once even remotely tried to do um and it was like there was no warning there was there was no strikes there was nothing the channel was just gone like you know within a day uh so i, I woke up to that I, I called dave he was floored obviously um we, I, I recorded a video just to explain, because we did have uh, like 7,000 fans. I mean, it's not outrageous, but it was enough that I, I knew there was a handful of people who, who would have been like, what just happened? So I recorded a video for them, and I, I made a temporary channel just to put it up there. And, uh, you know, thanks to uh, people like American Johnson and, and, you know, hundreds and hundreds, and you, the Antifada, <laughs> ah. <laughs> you know, hundreds of people, uh, this little grassroots activism uh, reinstated our channel within 48 hours. It was crazy. Just hundreds of people tweeting, uh, tweeting to at Team YouTube, tweeting to Team YouTube. Uh, and it actually got to the point where they released an official statement on Twitter, which is something they never do. They said, we uh, we apologize. Your channel was deleted in error. We are working very hard to reinstate it, like something YouTube never admits to. Um, Damn. Yeah. Hashtag well, surfed up. Wow, an actually human response from one of these uh, media mega corporations. I guess direct action really does get the goods. Yeah, and when it comes to like this digital medium, armchair activism does work. I mean, you know, it's it's not like putting Je suis Paris in your profile picture. <laughs> uh, if, if you are taking Team YouTube and they're getting inundated with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of messages, the, the support staff has to look at it, right? And like these giant multinational corporations, we're kind of just beholden to them. We, we don't, there's not really a face we can ever put to. We can't talk to a tech support. If you start out on YouTube, you don't even have the ability to contact YouTube. You have oh. to reach uh, a set, I think of, what is it, 4,000 or 5,000 subscribers before you can even email them. Yeah, so there, there's there's little recourse. So that. that is a cautionary tale about what can happen when the right wing comes after you slash you are beholden to a giant corporation uh, for your content creation and income. It's a good transition as well because uh, we're going to round things out now by uh, discussing what the future might be. Where do we go from here? I was reading an article from the Times from a couple of years ago 
And it was talking about how Google, which is to say uh, Alphabet, which is to say YouTube, created a project called YouTube Creators for Change, which was a, quote, global initiative dedicated to amplifying and multiplying the voices of role models who are tackling difficult social issues with their channels, dot, dot, dot. And its stated intention was to drive, quote, greater, greater awareness and productive conversations around social issues, unquote. This pseudo-woke corporate top-down approach over the last two years hasn't seemed to do much of anything. I guess the question is, is there any way to break from the YouTube Patreon industrial complex? Uh, which, of course, we would include the Antifada within that because, uh, you know, we help pay our rent money uh, through that Patreon. Can we break from it or are we cursed to forever risk downvotes and deplatforming from rapacious capitalists and tyrannical mods? So, I mean, I, I'm not so much concerned about the uh, the trolls and that sort of thing in the short term, because uh, I think I think we proved I think we kind of proved ourselves and our merit and our ability to quickly mount a direct action campaign with the surf situation. Um, and, you know, I think we proved that we'll we'll use that Streisand effect to our advantage to, uh, you know, rally to the aid of any comrades who get taken down by false flagging campaigns, that sort of thing. What yes. I'm more concerned about is like the long term, the the the. the the fact that we will become victims of our own success if we start to become successful, if we start to mount and rally a real threat to capitalism to corporations like Alphabet, Alphabet, eventually they're going to take us down. And they already are. If you look at like PayPal and Patreon are already kind of they're, they're, they're removing anyone who is like associated with Antifa. You know, they're doing the whole the whole horseshoe theory. Ooh, uh, time to rename our podcast. Super fun. Not antifa not communist podcast for kids <laughs> but the yeah no so the um that's what really concerns me because that's whenever we can really lose everything we've been building very quickly is is whenever youtube starts to or any any of these corporations start to realize as we're seeing you know that we're that we're posing threat a real threat to capitalism and so as our movement grows we will eventually be yanked off of these platforms so that's why i'm really excited to hear what uh you know what means tv has to say about the platform that they're building uh we are going to have to build alternative alternatives to these platforms now the advantage of these platforms now is that they have such a huge audience and you know if we want to reach people who are not currently turned into turned on to leftist ideas we have to unfortunately use these capitalist platforms for now but mm -hmm. that's why i think the, the sooner we start building our own platforms the sooner we start you know doing this really it's going to be hard work it's not going to be super fun because a lot of us, you know, especially like, you know, we, we already have our subscribers. We have our bases on these platforms and the transition is not going to be fun, but it's necessary that we do it eventually. And I would say that the sooner we start doing it, you know, if we could if we could start now and do it gradually over a longer period of time, it's going to hurt a lot less than if we all get yanked simultaneously once the real band hammer starts to come down on all these leftist commie channels. Um, so we got to start building the foundation really soon. Yeah, um, I'm with you 100 percent on that. Uh, I think we're really hyped to hear what Nick has to say about Means TV. But uh, before he ends us out with a rousing call to overthrow the uh, digital media ruling class, uh, let's hear what the serfs have to say. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything we can say that'll be any more poignant than what Nick is about to. So I'll, <laughs> I'll, come, in, I'll come in from this. Uh, a charge that's been levied out against us right now is, is a weird one. That uh, The left seems to be really concerned with doing what... Uh, Jack Dorsey was doing in the 90s against video games and just constantly pointing the finger or against Marilyn Manson in the 90s as well. Where, mm -hmm. You know, that, uh, you know, this is this is bad and it indoctrinates children. And that's what we're doing right now. We're kind of like just yelling and we're like, oh, this is bad. This is wrong. 
And I want to make a big distinction there in that we're calling out individuals. You know, we're not saying, you know, Grand Theft Auto 5 will turn you into a right winger. You know, that that's the, those are fictional media. <laughs> we're, we're calling out people who are sitting in front of a podium and saying, hey, kids, it's OK to think you're superior because your IQ is slightly higher than your your neighbor. Right. That's that, that's where we're coming from. And now the moment that everyone has been waiting for Nick from Means TV. Tell us what we are all going to collectively do to change the media landscape. Fakes are high. Wow. Uh <laughs> The whole idea with like means TV is, you know, we've seen sort of what happens when we unionize digital media, which is like a very positive step towards like workers having more control over their workplaces. Right. But there's still the dynamic of shareholders, uh, like predatory media investors, like it's people like the turnover rate is super high. It's like very hard to maintain a digital media job for more than two years. And like a union can't protect you from layoffs. And so, like staring that down as just like a young person, like wanting to work in digital media and make an impact. It's like, okay, well this, you know, this shit might not be working so great. Like, I think we need to kind of pursue a more worker ownership model in media where everybody who works at the company has a say over the sort of content that's getting produced, uh, has a say in like what everybody's being paid, like the long-term investments of that company. Um, And so that's really like what we're trying to do from the ground floor with, um, means TV and we're, you know, leveraging this really open and wonderful leftist podcast community, leftist YouTube community, gaming community, filmmaker community, like all these people want to come together and, and find a way to build sort of collective power. And that's what we hope to do through a worker ownership structure that could accommodate that. Right. And so like one of the biggest things that we talk about, right. And that we were just talking about is like, Patreon is a ticking time bomb. Like that's really a huge source of revenue for the left right now. YouTube as well. Like there's no way that advertisers are going to want their stuff on communist videos when we're in, you know, year eight of the Trump administration or in some sort of similar predicament. Right. So it's like, I think seeing that, like forecasting that a bit and starting to remove ourselves from these structures as much as we can. So it's like, even a Patreon, it's like, you know, they're, if they're taking 10%, of people's money, it's like that shit costs probably one percent maintain if with like a, an adequate staff, you know. And so it's like, okay, let's just make approximations of these services, and then have the, like have them be worker owned, and they can be a way that they're being enriched, and the, the creatives who go to that platform are making more of their total money, and it's better for everybody, right? And so the question is just how do we get to there now? I think you know, like how do we do what the right has been doing where they're building like these goofy alternative social networks and all yeah. these things. It's like Patreon and Gab, right? Right. I mean, again, it's like they're, they literally have all the money. So it's like, they, they can do all these projects that we're talking about wanting to do because they have infinite money from Saudi Arabia, from billionaires, from millionaires. So it's like, um, what we need to work on now is kind of like, how do we start bringing in some revenue for the left and use that for explicitly cooperative lefty projects sort of in the media building space. Um, and I, that's something we hope to do with Means TV is like, we're a subscription model. We won't rely on any advertisers. Um, the actual platform itself will be like, we'll be hosting videos on our own site, right? And then we'll also have a, a YouTube and a Twitter and a Facebook. So it's like, if they do shut us down on one of those, we're on like five other things. And it's like um, also creating inroads with sort of the cultural mainstream, like celebrities and like politicians and like, um, even certain other like leftist 
outlets that like if we can kind of build up a community around ourselves, it becomes that much harder to deplatform us. And so I think that like collectivization and and working with other people in the space and, and working to legitimize ourselves as like a as an institution, just the idea that like the the left media is an institution, we create better content than anybody else. And like pitching that and selling that to, you know, the public is I think the the next phase. Damn, I think we're all hyped to see that get off of the ground, man. Uh, you guys have a crowdfunding project right now, is that correct? Yeah, so what we're trying to do right now is raise the money to do this, right? So we're putting out uh, new videos every week for free on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook to try to raise the money to actually make this site and fund our first year of content. Um, so on the actual site, we're going to have animated TV shows, reality shows, talk shows, sports coverage, all sorts of content, movies, TV shows, everything, right? And then we'll also always be putting out free stuff on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter. Um, but we can't do that unless we're successful in this campaign. So um, if you want to support us, go to means.media. You can check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash means TV. And we're on Twitter at means underscore TV. We will be putting all of those links in the show description. Thanks again for uh, to everybody for coming on. And once again, if you didn't do so earlier, do subscribe to non-compete so that American Johnson can stay in Vietnam and attack uh, right-wing libertarians with anti-capitalist propaganda. Also, be sure to support the serfs so that they can stay in Canada and uh, attack other shitty Canadians and do whatever you can to keep spreading the word, even if that means becoming a content creator yourself. Uh, it's all out there. You can do it, too. So, uh, yeah, um, thanks to everybody for being here. It's been a real blast. And continue to support uh, independent leftist media to overthrow the ruling class or at least have fun videos to watch in the meantime. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Great talking to you all. It was amazing. Yeah, thank you so much. So you know the controlled political media on YouTube, people like Bad Mouse Productions, Secular Talk, Peter Coffin, and Thoughtslide. The worst of these channels, hands down, is one known as non-compete. Let me say this right out of the gate. I like Joe Rogan. Let me say this right out of the gate. I like Joe Rogan. Present my first exposure to him was on news radio, perhaps the most underrated sitcom of all time. He spends about a minute here talking about who Joe Rogan is in history and TV, and that may not be entirely necessary, but I guess he knows he didn't know. Then he began the UFC phase. Now, I'm not a UFC fan, mostly because I don't stand for any blood sport that doesn't include trampoline. While some people might look at the UFC as the growiest bro that's ever growed, because it is objectively it's still one of the few sports that gets comparable numbers for female fighting matches, not to mention hosted the first major sports event in history to have two openly gay opponents. I don't know what it is with... <laughs> I don't know what it is with social justice advocates where they really want to see gay people beat the shit out of each other in different sports. Um, <laughs> it never really occurred to me to want to see that, but... Something about social justice advocates just... The New York Democrat sharing a video on Twitter put together by Means TV. 
Now she's supporting a group where several of the participants call themselves not just socialists, but even communists. Not just socialists, but even communists. Not just socialists, but even communists. Not just socialists, but even communists.